Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson, the Chief Investment Officer at the Bonson Group. And it is fun to be with you here because I have a topic that is near and dear to my heart and I get to address it this week in a totally different way than I'm used to. I'm going to talk today about stock buybacks. And as a dividend growth equity investor, someone who uh, has long obsessed over the utility of dividend growing stocks, both for accumulators and for uh, withdrawers, people that are growing their capital for future uh, cash flow and those that are actually you know, using their investment portfolio to generate current cash flow. In both cases, um, I am a uh, outspoken, published, and and I believe uh, intellectually capable defender of dividend growth equity. Now, of course, many people who hear me speak and write about it may disagree about that alleged uh, intellectual capability, but you get my point. Um, I've been a longtime disciple of dividend growth equity investing for its risk-reward characteristics, for its cash flow mechanics, for its tax efficiency, so many other things. And we've podcasted about it before. I'm writing a book about it now. And uh, I've been writing about it in our weekly DividendCafe.com for many, many years. And we invest client capital around this very idea. So as a dividend growth guy... There is a sense in which it may seem that the world of stock buybacks is somewhat at odds with the world that I'm in. I don't think that's fully true. I think more often than not, it's a both and. Many companies with free cash flow have the ability to fund their capital expenditure needs, to maintain rainy day money, to uh, adjust the balance sheet and and capital structure of their business in terms of the trade-off between debt and equity. They can do all of that and still have money left over for both dividend growth, dividend payments, return of cash to shareholders, and return of cash to shareholders via anti-dilution, meaning the process of buying back shares of their own stock so that there are less shares and therefore your earnings are divided up against a different denominator. The company becomes more profitable to you because you have the same ownership you had before, but it is divided by a smaller pool of shares. It's really not that complicated, but it's helpful to kind of get a framework in mind. If you have a lemonade stand that has 10 shares of stock that represent the ownership, and uh, that lemonade stand generates a dollar in profit, uh, you have a one-tenth claim on profits. If they buy back shares, there's only now five shares of stock, and yet still generating that same $1 profit in theory, then all of a sudden you have a 20% claim on profits. So obviously, by the time we factor in the gazillions of shares that trade in public equity markets, my lemonade stand analogy gets a little more complicated, but it doesn't actually change. Math is the same in principle. So right now, the reason I'm choosing to talk about this topic is twofold. There is an investment aspect in light of tax reform as a sort of contrast to my passion for dividend growth. There are investment implications about companies that are doing a lot of share buybacks, good, bad, ugly, where we like it, where we don't like it, what it represents, what it doesn't. And and I'm going to make some comments on that that will not be remotely inconsistent with anything I've ever said about the topic. 
But then there is a broader kind of cultural and, dare I say, political environment that we're facing. And that is one in which stock buybacks are being attacked. Um, there was an article in the Atlantic magazine in the last week and an article in the New Republic, both somewhat left-leaning, but really highly regarded and often very good, high-quality um, you know, editorial, cultural commentary, periodicals, both of which have a long history, and both of which chose to address the topic of stock buybacks as so, a kind of social and societal piranha, something that it represents a real negative in the grand scheme of what's happening in our culture. And, and one of the uh, uh, kind of catalysts to this it was Apple reaching a trillion-dollar valuation in their market capitalization. And somebody chose to say that Apple had done that by buying a lot of shares of stock and refusing to hire more workers. And I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of everything Apple's done. Um, let's put it this way. I'm extremely critical of Apple not returning more cash to shareholders over the years as they've become the biggest free cash flow generating machine that's ever existed via dividends, and that's a pure investment thesis. I'm not remotely critical of, of Apple's relationship to their workers. And you have in free enterprise um, companies that have generated more wealth, taken middle-class people and made them upper-middle-class people through stock ownership, through bonuses, through stock options, through restricted share grants, through all these different um, really, really uh, beneficial mechanisms of corporate finance and capital markets transactions that have done a world of good to the stakeholders of Apple. Now, from an investor standpoint, I think that there is arguments to be made for dividend growth as a risk-reward mechanism of returning cash to shareholders. When stock buybacks take place, I don't get to buy groceries. Okay, and so I have to sell shares of stock, potentially achieve a capital gain tax event, potentially do so short-term, potentially do so at a time in which I don't want to sell the shares that may be the market pricing is not good. Stock prices do not go up in a linear periodic manner. And the dividends, the regularity of dividends enables me to get something that is always and forever a positive cash flow. There's no negative dividend. I'm receiving positive input from which I can actually monetize my spending needs and uh, from which I can reinvest into more shares that will be future compounding sources of uh, cash flow and and so I am a big favor uh, a big a big uh, proponent of, of that mechanism with stock buybacks there are a couple problems that I think make it a secondary uh, way in which I like to see cash return to shareholders not primary and one of the problems is that when you read of stock buyback authorizations, there's absolutely nothing binding that board to execute it. They will authorize a certain amount of shares, and that will be in the 10Q, the quarterly statement. Um, but you don't know if they're going to end up buying all those shares back or not. And then you'll find out into the future that they still have X number to buy, and they may do it, they may not. It's not binding. And it does have the effect of being somewhat, I believe, contradictory to the benefits of shareholders where dividends are more lateral they apply across the board 
but executive compensation is very often tied to earnings per share, not ever that I know of free cash flow. So therefore, they have an incentive to try to see earnings per share go higher through additional stock buybacks where um, the return of cash shareholders through dividends that will then either be reinvested in more shares or will actually represent cash that we put into our bank account or into our investment account to buy shares of other companies. That is a very equally distributed blessing. And I don't believe the exact same about stock buybacks. But I want to make a very clear differentiation in this week's advice and insights. The distinction between my views as an investor and my views ideologically is very, very important. Fundamentally, the arguments against stock buybacks that they are money not getting to go to workers is an attack against profits. It has a certain Marxian undertone to it. There is a claim that all stock buybacks are done with profits. All dividends are paid from profits. After income comes in and expenses go out, there is money left. What do we do with that money? That's the subject of what we're discussing right now. That's the subject of this controversy. So to say, well, if we didn't buy back more shares, we could have more bonuses paid out to workers or higher wages is mathematically true, but structurally deeply disingenuous. We're already discussing profits themselves. Now, you could just simply say we want to have more wages to laborers and less profits. And and you would accomplish that by having um, more money paid out and then therefore there'd be less profits with which to buy back stock. And maybe some people believe that's what should happen. But that isn't an issue of stock buybacks. That's an issue of to profit or not profit. The idea about a free enterprise system is that what level of wages and labor you need and how well of a culture you run with your employees is a matter of the stakeholders of the company to determine what is going to make the most sense to optimize the the benefits of working in that company. No one who's not taking paying good competitive wages is going to keep the talent they need to run their business and therefore generate profit-making activities from which they can use that profit to buy back shares to begin with. In other words, they would cut out their nose to spite their face if they were not adequately running their business and investing in new technology, new computers, new software, new employees, uh, wages, uh, bonuses, all those types of things. Once we assume that the cost structure of the company is in line with what is optimal for the company itself, then we are discussing what to do with after-tax profits. And after-tax profits can be used to reinvest in the company, they can be used to pay down debt, they can be used for dividends, and they can be used for uh, stock buybacks. And to me, and of course, they, that money could be used also for mergers and acquisitions and other you know, more complicated transactions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. So the point that I am making is that the idea that uh, we are uh, uh, hurting laborers by focusing on profits is a very, you know, two century old debate that, of course, we used to call Marxism, the pitting of the needs of labor versus the needs of capital. It's a classic zero-sum fallacy. We believe that growing the overall wealth pie happens with good strategy of capital formation, good balance sheets of companies, good profit-making activity that draws new investment capital, 
and that draws workers who want to live and potentially have ownership, work for a company, have ownership and skin in the game for how the company performs. So this crowding out of wages is not something being done by stock buybacks. Uh, if anything, what's actually literally crowd out wages is excessive tax and regulation. So to me, I think that we have to be very careful in understanding what we're criticizing when we criticize things and why, and then determine whether there's validity, where there's not. I'm overwhelmingly in favor of companies uh, working off of the profit motive and in that profit motive, I believe very much that they have a requirement both morally and economically to take good care of their talent, their laborers, to foster a culture that will draw people that want to work there, that will build retention and sustainability in the workforce and to adequately compensate and so forth. That becomes um, a really beautiful part of free enterprise, the kind of mutual uh, back and forth shared interest. And then from the uh, profit-making activities of companies, us as investors, I believe, benefit from uh, payments of dividend that allow us to monetize our investment and not compound our risk uh, day by day or, or more accurately, quarter by quarter is generally how a lot of dividends are paid. Um, but to kind of confuse stock buybacks with cash flow uh, is to really confuse balance sheet management and the P&L management profit and loss or in you know income statement is very different and fundamentally uh, investors need to pursue the most efficient capital allocation they can and that is done when companies with individuals that have skin in the game are making the right decisions how to best uh, 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 distribute these free cash flows and if we believe that management is not acting in our best interest as shareholders in the way they distribute the free cash flows, we get to vote with our feet. We get to sell those shares, move on to a different company. And that constantly moving dynamic of, of capital chasing its most rational home is what makes the stock market a brilliant place to invest. And I think what makes free enterprise the system it is that has brought about such incredible wealth expansion and, and lifted so many people out of poverty for so long. So I've covered a lot of ground this week in the last uh, 15 minutes, but this has been my advice and these have been my insights. You're listening to the Advice and Insights podcast from the Bonson Group. Please check out the Bonson Group, B-A-H-N-S-E-N, thebonsongroup.com for more information. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please share the podcast with whoever you'd like. And we look forward to coming back to you next week with more advice and more insights. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. 
Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.